0: Scripture reading this morning is found in John eight thirty six. I'll be reading from the Amplified Bible. John eight thirty six. So if the Son liberates you, makes you free men, then you are really and unquestionably free. The title of our sermon today is Freedom's Price by Elder Stan Kaler. Um I wanted to uh, visit, revisit, I should say, um, Fourth of July. <laughs> um, I don't think we want to pass by Fourth of July without um, thinking about what it meant. Now, it was last Sunday, if I remember right, and I remember Sunday night. We didn't even wait for the sun to go down. We were down in the backyard with our grandchildren. And they wanted to have fireworks. And my wife had bought up $30 for the fireworks. I was surprised she did that. And um, and so we we blew off all kinds of fireworks. The neighborhood blew off all kinds of fireworks, all that kind of stuff. And I'm afraid that children are going to come out of Fourth of July thinking that that's what it's all about. It's fireworks. And then after it was all over with, Oh, before I leave that, you know what they like the most? What are those little things that you light and you sparklers they love those and so in our backyard on our lawn uh we only had two of our grandchildren with us and each one had a sparkler and uh, they were they're dangerous those kids are dangerous with anything but with sparklers they're twice as dangerous and they just went around and around and around and giggling and laughing you know isn't it wonderful how children are and their eyes were so sparkly, and they were just—you know—they was just great. We were a little terrified that any minute we would be sparkled by their sparklers. But um, and they always wanted to come over and bring their sparklers where the box was at, and I was holding the box with all the rest of the fireworks. Um, by and large, it was a—it was a safe time. But um, uh, I'm thinking that uh, we tend to forget about freedom. <laughs> And what I wanted to talk about today is, is freedom. Because I think, uh, the freedom that we gained in our country has some huge overtones in the freedom that God is seeking to give us as well. And we need to be aware of what just freedom is all about. So I wanted to share with you and remind you of some of the things that our founding fathers were, had in their hearts as they made this step towards freedom. And and listen to what this is not pronounced stuff. You can find it on the internet. That's where I found it. Uh, how many of you actually get on the internet? Look at that! Wow! Some of the old folks get on the internet too. Quite impressive. My 87-year-old mother-in-law says she's going to buy a computer one of these days. Mm-mm, I hope not. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I found out uh, there was a a site there that lists the Declaration of Independence, and here's what I learned on that website. Fifty-six men signed that document, Declaration of Independence. And I'll tell you what it said about those 56 men. Five signers were captured by the British as traitors, tortured before they died. They knew that that was probably going to happen to many of them. Five of them were tortured and died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned as a result of signing that document and the steps that they took for freedom. They knew full well that that was waiting them. Uh, two lost their sons who served in the Revolutionary Army. Another two sons were captured by the British. Nine fought and died from wounds or hardships that were started through the Revolutionary War. Now each one of these men knew when they signed that document that that would be the cost. And yet they signed that document. They, when they signed the document, they not only put their own lives in danger, they put the nation in danger, they put their families in danger. Um, they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. They had come from pretty secure lifestyles. Lawyers, businessmen, jurists, merchants, Farmers, large plantation owners, men of wealth, and men of education. One Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, he saw his ships swept from the sea by the British Navy. He had to sell his homes and properties in order to pay his debts. And Carter Braxton of Virginia died in rags. His freedom paid that price to him. Thomas McKean. He was hounded by the British and forced to move his family almost constantly just to be out of the reach of the British. He served in Congress without pay. His family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him and poverty was his reward. I'm not sure what they really had in mind, all the things they had in mind But very few of those signers of the Declaration prospered as a result of signing that document. At least materially, not prospering. Vandals' soldiers looted the property of Dillery, Hall, Clymer, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge, and Middleton. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson, Jr., Um, noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over his home for his headquarters. His own home became the headquarters of the British. And um, he quietly urged, can you imagine this? He quietly urged General George Washington to open fire on his own home. You know, the home was destroyed. He died in bankruptcy. Francis Lewis had his home and his properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife. And she died within a few months. There's a lot of heartache here, isn't there? And sometimes freedom comes with a tremendous amount of heartache. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives... His field, his gristmill were laid to waste. For more than a year he lived in forests and caves, returning home to find his wife dead, and his children vanished. Think of the price of freedom. A few weeks later he died from exhaustion, exhaustion and a broken heart. Almost all of them had these kind of really horrible consequences as a result of their quest for freedom. John Adams made this statement. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Why would it be only for a moral and religious people? Because there's something inside of the human heart of a religious person that is put there by God that impels that individual to quest for the stars. Not just in the astronomy, but to quest after God. To reach far beyond what is normal, what is the possibilities. And God plants that in that great-grandchild. It's there. It's in every human heart. And so this issue of freedom comes as a result of responding to that drive that God puts in our hearts. Because we are made for God, aren't we? Fellowship with God. Knowing God. god like We're made in His image. And to not quest after that high and lofty aspiration. A oneness with God. Is a certain death to who we are. Isn't it? And so the Founding Fathers, even though they weren't that religious, they understood this about what they were doing. In the uh, document itself, the Declaration of Independence, it tells us why they did it, why they wrote the document and why they signed it. And here's what it says. We hold, you know this, don't you? We hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, everybody attests to them. There's no debate. That all men are created equal. And by the way, in that day and age, were all people treated as though they were created equal? Not at all. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed... Um, by their creator with certain unalienable rights. You dare not take these away or rob them from them. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The founding fathers believed that the government that they were being required to submit to was not granting them those freedoms that are so essential for life. And so they made this declaration and whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government. My little children with the sparklers had no idea what they were celebrating. In fact... I was trying to just get them to not grab the fireworks out of the package and they were deeply offended. And a celebration of freedom <laughs> and considering what freedom is all about and what these founding fathers were willing to pay for it. They, were, they didn't have any idea. So after listing the specific provocations of the King of England, they said, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They knew that to do otherwise was a slow and painful, empty death. That freedom requires us to, to stretch, to expand, to grow. And whenever you don't have that, terrible calamities take place. Now, Paul, writing to the Greek world of his day, the Athens, he said, well, he spoke to them. And when he spoke to them, he said, God created us to seek him. And they were profoundly affected by that. They knew that. Everybody knows that. God has created us to seek Him, that we might hope and grope after Him through the shadows of our ignorance to find Him. When you seek me, Jeremiah says, with all your heart, I will let you find me. And I'm here to tell you that that's what is the desire of my heart. I want my life to be pleasing to God. I read that just last night out of the Gospel of John. I want my life to please God. There is a desire in me because of what God has done for me, to me, through me. And I am not deserving at all. He should have cast me aside. But instead, He did wonderful things for me. And I just want to be bringing pleasure. And that's a deep desire inside my heart. God does a number of things to us. Maybe we just want to say thank you. But there is, maybe where we just want to say, Lord, how wonderful you are. Just praise Him. Because there is something inside of us that knows that this is where the center is. It's with God. And we're reaching out and wanting to make contact with God. And only there can we find fulfillment and satisfaction for our souls. It is so essential a part of us. I like what Augustine of Hippo, not everything that Augustine says, (laughs) not at all, but he made this comment, and I do like it. See if you like it too. Oh Lord, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Do you like that quote? We are endlessly restless until we find our safe harbor. In Christ. And Jesus made this statement in John chapter 15. You remember this statement. And it says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. Connected. The things that God had in mind when he took that clay and formed it, and then bent over and actually put his lips on the lips of Adam and breathed his air right into Adam. And when he did that, in his eyes, in his mind, he had expectations, thrilling, hopeful thoughts of what it would be like to enjoy and have fellowship and intimacy with Adam and Eve and all of their children. And when Adam opened his eyes as a result of that breath surging into his lungs, and he opens his eyes, and there looking at him is his creator. Can you imagine that? And he realizes that this is the one who is his being, his creator. And there was nothing he needed and wanted beyond that being, right there. That's all what salvation is all about, right there. And when we come to that awareness, we are exactly where God wants us to be. And He just, all the things that God wants to put inside us, He does as a read that, abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And the fruit pleases us, And it pleases God as well. Now there is a danger. And I can't help but in 2010 to think that this is a real danger that our country and everywhere, communities everywhere are facing to our freedoms. It's something called homeostasis. Do you know what homeostasis is? What is it? Standing still. Very good. It's standing in sameness is pretty much what it means, but you had it pretty well nailed there, Ken. Standing in sameness. Now, if the founding fathers were willing to stand in sameness, would our country be what it has become? No way whatsoever. I'm going to share something with you. What a strange phenomena that we see today. In the churches of our country, conservative element wants to stand still. Are you with me? One of the most proponents of homeostasis is church. God never wanted us to stay in sameness, to be rooted and stuck, to be the same now and 50 years from now. He created us to grow, to expand, to become better, to become richer and greater, not just in wealth, but richer in all areas. You know, <laughs> when you stay still, you're actually going backwards. So, so the homeostasis, I think, is one of the terrible curses. I'm wondering if today, if we were facing well, facing the the terrible crisis that our country is facing today, are there individuals as brave as those founding fathers that would be willing to risk all and to stand up and to reach out for really the potential that mankind is all about? I guess what I'm saying is, I think that there is a real danger, not only in the church but in the country as a whole, of individuals who have just kind of just settled down and not willing to reach out for great things. I think we've lost our vision in a lot of ways. I think we've lost our ability to stretch like these founding fathers, even though it costs them dearly. They bequeathed to us an amazing gift at their expense because they realize that we have to go and expand and we have to grow and so I, I wonder about that and I think about it this way I read one author who is talking about uh, it's like it's like in the sc- in the stars you know you have what you call you got the centrifugal force and then you've got gravity gravity pulls you down and centrifugal wants to have you expand God keeps those things in balance but if you take away the centrifugal the expanding, ever-growing. By the way, is the universe growing? You know, and, and with it, it needs space to move. Is that right? And there are so many things that are keeping that from happening today. I'm not... Sh- and so there are some concerns that we have today <laughs> of falling into black holes. We are designed for, be, for God-like. For my thoughts, Jesus says, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. For as, high, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. But he is not telling us that as a fixed uh, final statement that can't be changed. Because we will think the thoughts of Christ and we will do the ways of Christ if we come into fellowship and oneness with him. Isn't that right? But where we, if we stand in sameness, that won't happen. We have to continue to grow and continue to expand. And that's extremely important. I talked about how God knelt down over Adam and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. And this was an amazing thing. What would become of this creation, Adam and Eve, this human race? And all of the entire universe looks on to see what would become of them. It's an amazing thing. When Jesus with his disciples that uh, motley crew that didn't show very much evidence of change in their lives. Uh, he nevertheless went to the cross, he died, he rose, and then he went to heaven. And as he was inaugurated as King of King and Lord of Lords, and like all kings and high priests, they were anointed with oil. And that oil, representing the Holy Spirit, came down over the priest's head and his beard and over Jesus' head and his beard and symbolically it came all the way down and fell on those disciples on that day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus went all the way down to earth and blessed those disciples and from that moment on, they were a changed group. Now we can see the change in them. Before Jesus left he took each one of his disciples and he pulled them up close and he breathed upon them and he said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying today is this. I really, and I'm saying this to all of us. I think that we need to be people that are more noted for the great leaps and the risks that we take rather than a people who are fearing the loss that the risks would entail. I think that change has happened. When our church was first founded, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church, and almost any church you could look at, the early founders, they actually gave everything, didn't they? Expended every ounce of their energy, expended all their resources, for what was burning inside of them, this passion, to reach for the omnipotent possibility that was laid before them. And I don't think the Lord's going to come back until that same spirit returns. And that means something for different, maybe for each one of us, how we can possibly do that. But we need a generation before the Lord returns who are willing to go out and really claim freedom again. Freedom to be and to do and to become all that God has made it possible for us to be and do and become. Um, Sometimes we we throttle our imagination and our inspiration for the sake of efficiency. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. I don't want to spend too much time on that. I have discovered in my own spiritual journey some changes taking place many times in my life and probably most of my life I have uh, tried to um, become great out of my own you know what I'm talking about, and so when i I prepare a sermon i I prepare it, and then when I deliver it, I deliver it and and it's about as great as I can be, <laughs> but if God inspires me and I wait upon the Lord and don't move until he moves and he instructs me and I begin to trust that, then something greater than I could ever create is going to happen. And I think that maybe I'm not so unusual in the way this works. Is that all of us have a tendency to go to this homeostasis and just do it ourselves. It's more efficient that way we think. But it also guarantees that we stand still. What God wants is people that are willing to wait upon Him for the really inspirational thoughts, for the real challenges that God can bring to us. And then with a fire that comes directly out of heaven, lights up our soul, and go forth and do something absolutely astounding for the Lord. Not because... It's astounding. But because we want to do great things for God. And God impels us to go forward and do that. So I have been thinking about this for some time and wondering, you know, what is the church supposed to be? What should I do in a church? And I think I should model something different than I have. I think I should be out taking more risks for God. I should understand that we shouldn't be standing still. That's not a safe place to be. Conservative is not going to encourage freedom. It stifles it. We need to move out. Moses, chosen child. (laughs) Child that was born under a death penalty hidden in the, um, uh, what was it, the, uh, the rushes, and in a little boat that had been tarred around so it would float, is discovered, adopted into the princess's family, and prepared and educated to be the next pharaoh. One day, at 40 years of age, Aware of his unique position, his unique opportunity. He got that from his parents. And he went to live in the palace very much aware of his unique position and opportunities. He saw one of his own kinsmen being ill-treated. And so Moses, on his own, decided he would do a great thing. And he attacked the Egyptian that was being mean, mistreating one of his kinsmen, Hebrews. As a result of that, now what did he do? Operated on his power, on his wisdom, according to his efficiency and his potential. He was sentenced uh, to death and he had to escape from Egypt. Forty years go by. And during that time, Moses is guarding sheep. That's not a bad thing to do. Because sometimes we need to do very simple things to quiet down and get connected to God. So that God can really open up our, our minds to some great things that He wants us to do. And so He's caring for the sheep and He's approaching On Mount Sinai, a strange sight. We know what it is. It's a bush and it's all a flame and it's a different kind of a flame than he's ever seen. And he looks closer and he says, there's something strange going on here. This flame is a powerful flame, but it's not consuming the dead bush. And so he comes up closer and what does he hear? A voice out of heaven saying, take off your shoes. You're going to soon be doing great things, Moses. Take off your shoes. You know what shoes were and feet were in the Old Testament? Symbol of ownership. You've just been called to an entirely new arena. Take off your shoes. Where I'm taking you is not stuff that you can do. I'm taking you into an arena that only... All that you can do is going to be just trust me. Because I'm going to do it all. And you've got to learn to do that. And Moses resisted. He wasn't comfortable with that. And not too many of us are. But God, mind, every one of us, think about this. God is calling all of us to that place, I think. In the last days. And we are selling out. Take off our shoes and come up to holy ground. You are being called to be in such close union with divinity that the entire world will take note of this. And their mouths will just drop and the world will become a different place. A man 40 years tending sheep in a very short time, was standing in front of Pharaoh, still under a life sentence. And he conquers, because it wasn't Moses anymore. He stepped up into that very special place, like our founding fathers did. Did Moses pay a price? Oh, he did. He had talks with God. These are horrible people you stuck me with. Well, you know, and God said the same thing to Moses. Moses, these are horrible people. Let me get rid of them, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I'll make new people for you, you know. But God did great things to Moses, took him up on top of a mountain. And like no other person on the face of the planet at any time in history, Moses spoke to God how? God put his words right in Moses' mouth. And it was though when Moses spoke, it was like God speaking. That's what God intended. And so suddenly, Moses was liberated from all of the smallness and the simplicity of, and the safety of, our, of his life. And he was ushered into a, a, a world that was so huge and so big. And he spent the last 40 years of his life Daily, can you imagine speaking to a rock? That's instead of hitting the rock, you should have speak to it. And water flows. Fifty encampments speak to a rock, water flows out of it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking inside of the tabernacle and the, at nighttime there's a pillar of fire and at daytime there's a cloud and you're right in the very presence of God? Can you imagine that? God has called us and made us for some special, beyond any of our imaginations. And we are so conservative in our thinking. We only think to the limit of what our imagination. We come up with all those excuses that Moses offered God about not being fit to do these kind of things. I think of the words of Jacob when he said, After that great dream, surely the Lord was in this place. And you remember the last words of that? And I did not know it. God has called us. Now, we have, we talked about in our Sabbath school class, we've got great people that we are following, the great reformers like Martin Luther. We've got individuals that established this particular denomination and we know their stories. Unbelievable experiences. Common people. Ellen White. Oh Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And she kept resisting. I don't want to do that. And it was only when the Lord showed her that her garment was covered with all kinds of stains of the blood of all of those individuals that would lose their life because she refused. That was a shuddering experience for her. And that broke her down. But it wasn't enough. She still wasn't ready to go to do great things for the Lord. The Lord had to do one other thing. And He showed her this. Jesus looking at her with His wife. You know, what would it be like to see Jesus look at you? You know He loves you. I, I sometimes am willing to drive four hours just to see my wife look at me. I should send her a note to remind her that I want that kind of a look next time I come. <laughs> It does that kind of a thing to us, doesn't it? But anyway, Jesus was looking at her and all the love in his expression, all of it. This is the creator and the creation, the bond there. And Jesus turned away from her and turned his back to her. And she realized that just killed her. That was just a horrible thing because what she was doing was doing that to him turning her back to him and she understood and she let go of all the caution all the security and all the safety and began 70 years of non-stop unbelievable service what would it be like to do that unbelievable amount of letters of writing to people and telling them the things that was wrong in their life and the changes they need to make letters from God through her But what would it be like to be awoken up in your bed so many mornings of every week by an angel getting out of bed? To step up into this realm of out of the ordinary and going to the extraordinary. To realize what God has created for us and to move in that direction is what God is calling us to do. And um, when Moses came to the end of his life, he admonished the children of Israel, Seek him with all your heart. When David was turning over the kingdom to his son Solomon, the words of counsel that he gave to his son, Seek him with all your heart. When Jesus was leaving for heaven, to His disciples, He said, Seek Him with all of your heart. All of your heart. Be still and know that I am God. God never asks us to operate in our own armor. He doesn't want us to do small things. He, It's not going to do it. Small things don't cut it. They just discourage us. He wants to take us into a level that's way beyond our imaginations. And don't think that I'm just talking about one or two here. I'm talking about all of us. And we need to think about this and go back home and pray about it and see what it is that God is calling us to do. How much He wants a biggest step. How high we have to go in order to follow in the direction that He wants us to take. Those are the thoughts that came to me this year at 4th of July. I realize that what our founding fathers did has a strong message to us and that we need to not take the safe course but take great risks for the Lord. And great things will come of us. It may not be that our lives will come out safe and secure. We may not even have that nice house <laughs> that we have spent so much of our hope Investing in. We may not even have safety. We may not even have health. We may put our lives in serious jeopardy. But that's what we were created for. Father in heaven, serious thoughts today. And they should be thought in the privacy of our own minds as we go from this place. My prayer is that your Holy Spirit will adjudicate and apply these words to each one of us. Think about what we could do. Not necessarily what we can engage others to do, but what we can do ourselves individually. To stand up. To pay the price. To free people. To free our town. To free our family. To give them an opportunity to step up higher than they've ever been to know the Lord, to find you. Each one of us have something that you would want us to do. And I just pray, Lord, speak. Because we are trying to listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.